So if you have your Bibles and you've looked in the bulletin, you can see that we're going to be in Isaiah 46. It's on the screen in the NIV, but what they don't know in the back is I switched it to the NASB. <laughs> so just bear with me. It's going to read a little different. Bell has bowed down. Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over and they have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same, and even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we would be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. They bow down, indeed they worship it. They lift it upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded, who are far from righteous. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay, and I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. Amazing passage here. It comes out of the Old Testament. It comes before the events have happened in the fall of the city of Jerusalem. And what God's saying here, He is talking about the fact that He is the one and only God that there is. He is speaking to people who should have been able to remember how he had provided for them, how they had been in Egypt for 400 years in captivity, and how God had sent them there, and he had said back in Genesis that they were going to go there, and that they would be delivered from there, and they would receive a blessing as they left. They would receive the riches of Egypt. He prophesied that 400 years prior to it happening. This is that God. That is who's speaking here. That is who is saying this. And he's saying, look, fine, compare me. Look at Bel, look at Nebo. Bel was the Lord of all gods in Babylon. He was the highest god that they had. Now, before we look at him, 
the Philistines had a god. They called him Dagon. You remember what happens? They capture the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the presence of God. And so they put the Ark of the Covenant in before Dagon. They leave, they come back the next morning, and what has happened to Dagon? Dagon was a statue. And Dagon comes, and he's on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. And so you can see where the Philistines would say, well, it was probably just a minor earthquake. Well, the funny thing happens, they put Dagon back up on the thing, they leave again, and the next day they come back, and this time not only is Dagon fallen, but his head is gone and his arms are broken. There is no putting Dagon back together again. He's Humpty Dumpty now. And he has prostrated himself before the symbol of God. Not even God, but simply a symbol of his presence. Dagon has been brought low. And so, here he says, Bel and Nebo. Look at Bel and Nebo. Now, the custom of the day was that when you had gods, and you went off to go, and you were in the military, your gods would go with you, because they symbolized the power of your god being with your army. And so, what would they do? They would haul giant statues of gold. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of gold, but I've learned over the years, it's heavy. It's extremely heavy. If you watch James Bond and you see the uh, Goldfinger, you see them hauling those gold bricks. I think at one point Sean Connery reaches around and tries to grab one, and it's heavy because he's going to use it to defend himself against odd job. Okay, forget it. <laughs> wow, tough room. Okay, so, but it was heavy. Gold's you would make it. You would make symbols of your God. But the Israelites did it too. They came down. You know, Moses is up on the mountain, and what happens? They're putting together, you know, a nice golden calf to worship. Even though God has delivered them, even though when He delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, His pillar of fire went ahead of them at night. His pillar of smoke by day. And what happened when Egypt came to attack God's people? The pillar of fire moved. And it put itself in between the Egyptian army while the Red Sea opened up. This is that same God. And he says through his prophet Isaiah, Look, Belenebo, your strongest, the gods of Babylon will lift up and will drag along and they will go into battle. But they are powerless. They require beasts to drag them. You have to have beasts to drag Bel and Nebo. In case you're wondering, Bel is the Lord of all gods. Nebo is the God of prophecy and writing. He is considered the son of Nebo. So Bel and Nebo, the two most powerful gods that Babylon has. Within Babylon is a great temple at the time to Bel. In Nebo, about 30 miles south of is where the statues and the temple for him are. But they will be shown for what they are because they will be dragged. Because if your gods fell while you were in battle, it was demoralizing to the army because the army is looking at it going, we go in the name of the God and our king, which if you pay attention to Daniel, Belshazzar, refers back to Bel, the God. Nebo, Nebuchadnezzar. Just in case you're wondering, yeah, it's a good way to go if you're going to be a pagan ruler. Put yourself next to God. You know, 
who's ever going to contradict you if you're next to whatever God it is? And don't forget, you know, you head into the king's presence and you do something stupid, he just kills you because he's the king. He's next to God in the land. Or, many oftentimes, the representation of whatever God there is. The physical embodiment of it, because then you're in an even better place. But God, Jehovah, says, you have to carry them. And it will come a time that will approach very soon in history where the very gods that you carry will lay you down. They'll be captured and taken into captivity. And not only did Cyrus, 100, 150 years later, not only did he capture and drag the gods out, but the first thing that he did with them was melt them. That really shows the power of your God. You go in, and you have this great, big, nice gold statue or whatever it is. And you're going in and you're prostrating yourself before it. You're praying and you're asking for all the wisdom in the world. <laughs> Which is why when you have Nebo and he's a God of prophecy and wisdom, mildly ironic, I admit, it's just one of those things I catch and I go, wow, 150 years ahead of time. When if you study history, you know. There was no way to say Syria, Persia, would become strong. There was no way anybody could see it coming because Babylon was starting to grow in strength at the time that this is prophesied. Israel's on the decline. But instead of having a God who you have to carry, God says, I'm the God who carries you. I don't ask you to carry me. I carry you. That's the God we serve. Okay, no, I know. Right away, somebody's going, well, why don't we in Isaiah? Because New Testament's where we live. The reason why we're in Isaiah because what God are you serving? How do you understand what God you have? When in Colossians, the third chapter, the fifth verse, it says, covetousness is idolatry. Okay, I know, because everybody's sitting there and going, well, we're not praying to statues. No, you don't have to. I'm very mindful of what happens at 1 o'clock today. In fact, I know there's other people in this room that have already thought through and have gone. I hope we're out of here just in time so that we may go and worship at the altar of the Patriots. Kate, <laughs> the games, sports, idols can become gods. I don't know... Okay, but admittedly, yes, I like the Patriots. But when it, I'm not going to live or die on how they do. Okay, well, maybe I'd be a little upset, but yeah, because <laughs> it's the Jets. It's more about not liking the Jets than any. The problem is, whatever takes the place of God in our lives becomes hopeless. We're geared by society to be covetous of what other people have. How does it go? Right away, you're thinking, well, I don't do that. Really? I dare you to make it through the game and not get hungry. Say out all of those commercials. Honest to goodness, I'm not even hungry when I sit down to watch it. But I'll get about mid that halfway through and I'm going, hey, I really need to get something during this 15 minute break. I'm so hungry now. Am I really hungry? Or have the ads 
managed to spark a need or a want because there's absolutely no way that anything I'm going to go and grab it. 2.15, 2.30, when I'm trying to get back before the 15 minutes is up, then I'm going to eat the tenant good for me. It's not like I'm going to go and look for the healthy solution. I'm going to go and look for the Doritos. I'm going to go and look for that which I can grab quickly. And But for all those that aren't sports fans, they're not going, well, that doesn't apply to me. Really. What is it? Is it shoes? Is it how people look at you? Is it your reputation? Is it what people think of you? Because I guarantee you, there are different things that pull on all of us. And that consume and trap us. And God's saying, wait, hey, I'm the God who carries you. I'm the God that brings freedom to you. I'm the God that already knows the end from the beginning, but He makes it even more personal. He says, I'm the God who has known you from the womb to the end. From the womb until you have gray hair at the end of your life. That's a lot more gray hair than I have. A lot more. But we get caught up in thinking, hey, for me, I can tell you right now, education's been a big one. I went and got myself a graduate degree because I wanted to make sure. I went, I don't care what happens. I want to make sure I have a good education because I have a family that I need to look after. Yeah, and how's that worked out for me? <laughs> because at some point in your life, you will come to a moment where God will say what matters. What matters to you? What's most important to you? Will it be having a big bank account or will it be Him? Because I can tell you, it should be Him. I can give you many reasons why it should be Him. But you know what? None of it is going to help you. Because it's what matters to you. It's what touches you. But I can tell you that He is alive. That He is willing he is right there. And all it takes is us turning to Him. Amen. There will come a moment, many moments most likely in your life, where you will be tested on that which you value. Look at what happens to Israel. Is Judah. Sorry, I'm going to split up these. We're in a divided kingdom at this point. Look what happens to the nation that is supposed to be the nation of God's people. They get to a place where they have gone and they have chased after everything else. They have set up idols all over the place. Their society has fallen apart. In the temple of God, the elders are gathering to worship idols. In the very place that signifies the divine presence of God Almighty, His presence with His people, they have forgotten that which He has done. Sometimes we don't just forget that which He's done. We will sit and we will go with the power of our memory, which is amazing because our memory will tell us 
Oh, but things were better 10 years ago. Things were better 20 years ago. Oh, I remember how God met me back 25, 30, 40 years ago. And that was amazing because the church was just awesome back then. But now, now it's not the same. Well, wait a second. Has God changed? I know this gets really painful. Is it God that's changed or is it that we have changed? Because if God's not moving in your life, is it because of the church? Or does it start at home? Because that's really where it starts. Just to clue you in, it goes home, ministry, society. Home, church, society. I can literally tell you, society will go the way it does because of what happens within our church. What happens within our lives happens out there. But what happens in the church doesn't go that way until something falls apart in the home. Because you can go from Genesis all the way up and God works through the home first. Works through us first. Me first. That's hard. Because we look at what goes on in our towns. And we look at how people have fallen apart. And we look at how the government tries to rescue them. And is it really helping? No. Because at the heart of it all, there is one thing and one thing only that has to be fixed. And that is the heart of man. Which is dreadfully evil in and of itself. And until that gets fixed, everything else that's built is not as strong. Our nation built upon a nation formed by God. The men that founded the nation turned to the Lord. That it would be a nation that would come out of the Great Awakening. And what happened? The nation then grows to the place where it sees itself as strong as a nation. We're strong because we're a growing nation. About a hundred years ago, that changed to being a nation about me, self. What do I get out of it? Why did things go the way they did in the 30s? The 20s. What happened in the 20s if you're a student of history? It was a roaring time. People were dabbling in the market. They put everything on credit. And all of a sudden, the rug got pulled out. We have more things of anxiety, nervousness, depression. All these things that are me-centric are all around us. But we're doing the best we've ever done. The nation's never been so great. The other nations want to be like us. If that's where our salvation is, we're in trouble. If our salvation is in anything else, but God. What is He saying? I will. I will bear it. I will do it. I will make it. He prophesies years ahead that He will even bring down Babylon. He mentions Cyrus by name. Read Isaiah. It's an amazing thing. Why? Why would God do that? Because in all things, God is sovereign. 
from the beginning to the end, God is sovereign. So what do we do? We say, God, oh yes, I know salvation is going to come from you, but I'm going to do it on my own. I need you, but only here. I'll let you in, God, but you can only be in the front foyer of the house. That's okay if you're there. Because it makes it look better for everybody else. That way when people come by your house and they see the Bible just sitting there by the door, they're thinking, oh, look at that. Isn't that a great follower of God? No, then you're not looking for that. If you got the Bible right by the front door, I guarantee you if I come over, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to check it who does. I'll do it. I will. I'll just... And just in case you think you're going to change the page and fool me, I'll go to the binding. I'll run my finger around and give you a little white glove test on your Bible. How much you want me to bet? If I did a white glove test on people's Bibles in here, there'd be a lot of people going, Dang, don't let the pastor come over. Or, now if I pull into your driveway, it's going to be the very first thing you do. Probably turn the lights out, lock the door, and then quickly hide the Bible so that it's not there. Why? Because I'm there? No. That's why in the world would we care about what I think? When it should be, what does God think? He's the one that desires to save us. He's the one that said, test the gods. Who can you compare me to? Fine. Fine, you have these other gods. Who can you compare them, me to? Can they do what I do? Oh, wait, your gods are so powerful, you have to drag them into battle. Wait, look at that. You're getting beat. And you're still trying to drag the gods out? Okay, last night I admit, here's another television reference. I was watching Jurassic World with, the, with Christian. Actually, I think it was all of us watching it. In Jurassic World, it's something I didn't notice the first time I watched it. All those little, what are the flying things? Francis flying things. There you go. Whatever he said. See? That's leadership. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know the guy who knows it. <laughs> That's true leadership, in case you wonder. It's not about you being the best. It's about drawing from everybody. There's a scene in there of people panicking. And I didn't notice it at first, but there's a guy that as he's running is carrying whatever drink he had. He's running. He grabs the drink off the table and is running with the drink. And right away I went, oh my gosh, really? That's the worst possible thing to do. I don't know if you notice, there's another point in there where the Chris Pratt, is that it? Okay. Chris Pratt is running because the dinosaur is chasing him and the girl's behind him and Chris Pratt runs by the girl. And it's not until he gets outside, the, outside this doorway that he turns around and looks for her. And I went, yeah, there's a true hero. The true hero. He runs out to safety and then turns around to make... Good, just want to make sure you're coming. But what happens when we hit critical things in our lives? It becomes everyone for themselves. Right? Think about it. Somebody comes and starts to attack. Your first instinct is to flee. you got to get away. The dinosaurs are coming. Disaster's coming. That's when you find out what you truly value. Imagine how stupid it looks that the beasts and the wagon has gotten bowed down in the mud. It's become snagged. And you have the Syrian army, the Persian army. I'm sorry, I keep doing that. 
same way your area, way different centuries. But they have the Persian army and they're racing up after you. They're going to kill you and you're stopping to grab the big giant statue and run away with it? That's why I am not an infantry soldier. Because everything inside my head goes, no, I'm not going to carry that. It's heavy. I'm going to get out of the way. When disaster happens, when bad things happen in your life, what is it that you reach and grab for? What is it that's most important to you? That will tell you what is your idol. Now, this isn't just condemnation, okay? Because Jesus came to save came that His mercy would be given and presented to all. There was nothing that we could do to earn the favor of the righteous God. And it's not about what we can do. It's about His love for you. You matter that much to Him. That much that no matter what else is going on in your life, He is right there by you. Right there by you. How many times do I watch people go through life that don't know God, that don't know what it's like to have Him right there in their lives, to be able to say, truly, He is a, I am a friend of God. He knows my name. He knows every hair on your head. Whether you've counted them or not, He's already known them. When you were in the womb, He had you and knew what was going to happen from the beginning to the end of your life. And we sit and we say, fine, He's an all-powerful God, but if He really cares about me, if He really is a caring God, why does society fall apart? That's a great question, except that when you're helping your child to ride a bike and they fall, is the issue they skin their knee and they, you don't love them? It all depends on who God is to you. Because we will go with the excuse and say, God doesn't care about me. Because if God was an all-loving God, society would never go that way. Society wouldn't be like it is. I wouldn't go home and get beaten. I wouldn't go home and have people crabbing at me. I wouldn't go and have trouble when I go into work that my life would be so much better than it is. How much more could He love you than to give His one and only Son? To take His one and only Son and have Him pay the ultimate price that we would have life and life eternal. I don't know anything more loving than that. I don't know anything greater than that. We were talking this morning and Brother Dana was sharing out of Romans 12. And talking about presenting your body as a living sacrifice. And that's all good and great. But it really brought it in because of this message. And I went, how do you present your body as a living sacrifice if you don't even understand why you're doing it? <coughs> why in the world would I present my body as a living sacrifice to God 
if I don't trust Him? If I don't know that He has the best for me, that He will take everything, and His Word says this, says He will take everything that goes on in my life and He will use it for my good. It's kind of like a personal trainer. If you ever go to the gym and you have a personal trainer, that personal trainer, I honestly think that because we don't have torture places, that people who would have been medieval torturers, they're personal trainers now. And physical therapists, just in case you're wondering. Because, what do they do? Oh, come on. Ten more. Really? Come on. Seriously? I'm going to slap you with this weight. But why are they doing it? Because they're trying to push you to do better. Why is it that with our kids, we give them challenges to help them to reach to the next thing? And they sit and they look at us and they go, I can't do this anymore. And you're going, yes, you can. You're right there. You have it right there. We tend to think of it the way I do about physical therapists. Anytime you have an injury, the physical therapist wants to help you. So, if you ever go through a thing with your knees and they put a cast on and they do anything, it's really special. Because they take the cast off and then right away, you know, physical therapist comes in next and goes, yeah, okay, we're just going to start moving it. <laughs> Wait a second, it's been sitting there for six weeks. What do you mean we're just going to start moving it? That hurts. I don't like that. And I have to remind myself, don't slap them. Don't flick them in the forehead. They're trying to help you. But you don't want to be helped because it's painful. And many times we treat God like a physical therapist. Rather than knowing He knows the end from the beginning, that what He has is good for us, that we can trust Him and why? Because we don't trust anybody. We don't. Why would we trust people? People let us down. And so we'll use that as our excuse. Well, mom and dad, they let me down. So I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to trust me, because I know me. Hey, this is my go-to move. My go-to move. This is the fastest way that I know I'm doing something. Because right away I'm going, oh, I got this. I've been in similar situations. So I'm not easily rattled by a lot of stuff. And so I'll go, okay, I'm good. Until I get the slap in the back of the head and God goes, really? Really? Oh, so I'm, I'm not going to do anything different here. It's not going to be my thing. It's going to be your thing. Where did we get to this place in our relationship? Which is never a good question. I don't like those moments with God because then I have to lay it aside and go, okay, God. If you're going to rest in God, if you are going to allow Him to be the God who carries you, and not you carrying God, how do you do it? Think, people flown? I got another illustration that's going to kill me. Okay, to go to big airports, they have these magical devices. I love them. It's a moving escalator. It's a vertical escalator. If you want to, you can go and play on one at Terminal C in Logan because they have it in the bridge section, that area that goes across from the parking garage. You can go there and you don't go behind security, so you can go and experience this for yourself. And trust me, it's a lot of fun because you can go along 
and I can take a nice leisurely stroll on top of this moving escalator, and it will drag me faster than somebody who's just about running beside me because I've done it to people. People that don't realize the value, oh, you're just going to go by it? Sure, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You, you get the lead. I did it in the deed. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to wait for that. So I waited and got on very nicely. And I went along and I was well beyond him. In Christianity, that's life in the Spirit. We think we're going to go and we're going to run to the other side. We put a lot of effort in because that's what we're good at. And we're going to run, 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 run. We're going to just really push in and do it. When in actuality, living by the Spirit allows us to be on that walk. To take it easy. Not easy, easy, but if you're still walking, so it does take a little bit of movement on your part. You have to have a little bit of faith. That's the bad thing about faith. It requires you to step out. Okay, one more movie reference just because it'll drive through some nuts up. I get three in. Indiana Jones and that fourth one, that fourth, the Temple of Gra- the Holy Grail thing. That one of the challenges. Remember, they couldn't see the bridge. It looked like there wasn't a bridge there, and it was a step of faith. And so you see Harrison Ford do this and step out. Sometimes we have to do that in our lives. Okay. Now, if you have a faith gone, good luck. Okay. You'd probably have better odds at Foxwoods or some other casino. Which, by the way, in case you're wondering, your odds stink there. Okay? If you go into those places, they're there to suck money out of your pocket. Okay? They want you to think you're going to get rich. This is a little caveat there. They're totally designed as Venus flytraps. They're just coming, put a little bait out, and they take you. Okay? Don't want to use any illustrations because somebody will write me in. They'll say, well, you, did, you said that casinos, so there you go. I'm not advocating anything. Sometimes, though, in life, that first step with God is difficult. Okay? And this is where it doesn't matter about who I am. What matters is who He is. He is the one true living God. He is the one that declares 150 years before an event that it's going to happen. He is the one that says 400 years prior to the nation being in captivity that they're going to be in captivity. He is the one that knows the end from the beginning. He is the one that daily is there. Did you know you can find God even if you never set foot in a church? Because it says in His Word, I'm right there if only you would turn to me. I will be found. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that I've been able to stand at people's bedsides with relatives, knowing that that person is about to step into eternity, but it's not an eternity in hell, it's an eternity in heaven. Unfortunately, it's also been the person where I've been able to stand in another room and know that when that person goes, that's it. Not willing that any should perish is the standard that God set. 
You want to know if you matter? Yes. You want to know if you should test and see if he's right there? Yes. Turn to him. But it's one of those personal choices. But don't be that guy or that lady that at the end of days, when disaster comes, when everything falls apart, don't forget the nation did go to the place where they're starving in the city of Jerusalem and the very gold and silver that they have is worthless. And I know we're all sitting there and we're going, yeah, it's about a thousand dollars an ounce right now. How in the world could that be? And they're throwing it aside because it's heavy and it's not worth anything. You can't buy food. The nation's under siege. God will keep trying to get your attention. He does. That's the beauty of it. As a church, guys, we need to be careful that we're serving God and not just caught up in the idea of church. That we go to church because it's church. We've got to be careful that we're not caught in the past going, oh, but it was so much better then. Because you know what? Unfortunately, we can't go back in time. I can't help it. That's a fourth. And that's a back to the future in case any of you were wondering. <laughs> It's not a hard thing, except that it requires us to take a step. That's the hard thing. I can tell you, I wouldn't do it any other way. Okay, that's the guy with a fairly high IQ. I know all the rational stuff. I know most of the statistical stuff, too. But I can tell you at the end of the day, it's not going to be about what moves my emotion. It isn't. Because if I'm going off how I feel, I'm in trouble. How many people that one day or the next just wake up and go, woohoo, happy to be alive? Except for like that world there where they're young. Easier when you're young. There will come a time with us. When you'll get up. And you will be running. And then the next day will come. And you'll suddenly go, Oh my gosh, why does that hurt? I've been running most of my life. Because our bodies just eventually will let us down. But God never will. That's the God who carries your burden. That's the one who cares about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it can be a hard thing even as I call upon you, I know that there are those that will not understand, that don't even know who you are. And so, Lord, this morning, I just ask that you would reveal yourself to them. Lord, I know that they need to meet with you, that they need to know that you care about them the way I know you do. Lord, they need it to be personal. They need to know that yes, you do know them. You knew them in the womb. And you have a future and good things in store for them. Father, I ask that you would just hold back the doubts. That, Lord, those things that would seek to take away from you, that would seek to distract us from you, that, Lord, you would hold those back. That we might strengthen our faith this morning in you. God, it's a hard thing when we step out in faith 
It's not like we can say as Thomas that we need to see the holes in the hands and the wounds in the feet. But Lord, I know that you are the one true living God and that you carry us, that you hold us in your hand. And Father, this morning I ask that you would just shine so bright in our lives that we would stand amazed at the goodness and the greatness of God. For Lord, I know there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, I ask for each one here that you would help them to come to that long before that day when it will be mandatory to bend the knee. That Lord, they may know you as a friend. That they may know you as their deliverer, their redeemer, their strong tower. For God, you are an amazing God. Lord, for each of us that get caught up in church, where other things can replace who you are in our lives, we just ask, God, that you would break down those idols, that you would draw us back to you, that, Lord, each day as we awake this week, that we would look forward to the day and we would look for you, that it might be the day that you have made and we might recognize it. Father, I thank you for each one. I ask you to seal them in your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.